What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Talking About Podcast. I am your host, as always, Daniel Olinger, joined by the one and only Sean Kennedy. Sean, how are you doing? Uh, not great, honestly, in solidarity with Ben Simmons. Um, I also had a, had a bit of a flu going around my household this week. So uh, not, not 100%, but this could be my flu game podcast. So hopefully a, a similar level of performance to the, the famous MJ game. Yeah, yeah. You, first of all, hope you're feeling better, Sean. I mean, any sickness during this time is, is a little bit scary given what the last year has been like. But well, you've been like Ben Simmons. I was like Joel Embiid in that I had about the same level of interest in the Rockets game that he had because <laughs> that game was just – that game was just not fun to watch. I know the Sixers won, but it was – kind of boring as the Sixers were killing the Rockets then as they slowly let the Rockets back into the game you just couldn't like turn your computer off and like or like phase out and work on other things you had to keep staring at the screen as the Rockets endlessly fouled the Sixers and the Sixers continually gave up more threes to the Rockets it like least favorite win of the season for me thus far yeah it was an ugly game uh like Joel having to what do you play he played 37 minutes I think yeah that's not good in in a game where they were up by 29 and he was on the injury report with a bad back he had missed a game with earlier in the week uh it's not ideal um yeah he definitely i don't know if it was disinterest or maybe he was just kind of trying to take it easy because of the back and then you saw towards the end of the game he had the, the two huge baskets against cousins um oh no joel and be disinterested still like a top yeah, player yes, in the world <laughs> right um yeah i don't know if it, yeah, I, i'm just trying to say i don't know if it was disinterest so much as like keeping things in reserve like not not going 100 percent because he felt like he didn't need to especially when the team was up 20 whatever however 29 and they were up by 20 plus points for the majority of the game it wasn't like they had one huge run and then that quickly evaporated it it for three quarters of this game it looked like the rockets had no chance and then all of a sudden they were turning the ball over every possession seemingly and the rockets were in a two possession game and uh yeah it was just ugly performance even even despite the win all of a sudden the Sixers, the 2021 Sixers turn into the 2020 Sixers where everything is unpleasant. They beat a team that is inferior to them in talent, but you don't feel good afterwards. It was all those kinds of vibes. But, you know, they did need the win because going into the game, they were on a three-game losing streak. Uh, earlier, they had they'd been on a three-game losing streak earlier in the season, but that was during the whole, like, the team is completely wrecked with COVID pr- of COVID protocols and like, like absences. So this is like a, 
a more uh, representative three-game losing streak in which they lost that nail-biter to the Portland Trail Blazers, lost on the road in Phoenix to the Suns, then with Joel Embiid out, lost to the Jazz, and was that, which was actually a, a, a more enjoyable loss because the Jazz have been killing everybody. They're 22-5, and five, best record in the NBA, pretty much playing like the best team in the NBA right now. I just think 22-5 and five might be – I think it might be better than that. I might even have that wrong, but – Regardless, the Sixers lost to the Jazz, where Ben Simmons had a career high of 42, I want to say. I didn't have a redemption. Yeah, yeah, 42. And uh, the Jazz are 24 and 5 now. Jeez. And <laughs> Tobias Harris had 30. Oh, I See, this is not it's not good podcast probably. I didn't have it written down again. I, did Tobias he, had, he, had, he had 36. 36. Tobias and Ben were great. The rest of the team was not. And the Jazz are too good to do that. And like one thing with the Jazz game, I said it's just shows you how valuable valuable Joel is to the defense and that Ben Simmons was tasked with guarding a lot of guys on the inside, like the Jazz's bigger players, whereas in a normal game with Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons would have been put on someone, please, just for the love of anything that is pure stop Jordan Clarkson right now <laughs> because they had no – the long-running tradition of small guards who can shoot off the dribble just absolutely murdering the Sixers – it comes yeah. in with Jordan Clarkson, but so they needed the Rockets win. But during that three game losing streak, it was something that had come up to me watching the games just, and you know, this has been aggravated by Shake Milton's absence. If you look at most of the Sixers bench lineups with Shake Milton, they're just fine. And, you know, it's not often that it's just a pure five man bench unit. Often though, like Tobias Harris has been in a lot of those lineups. And when he's in there, they usually do well. They'll stagger it around a little bit. But Shake Milton being out, the lineups have gotten worse. Ben Simmons and Dwight Howard lineups, it's well documented, have just not been working. Like, the spacing is awful. Teams, because there's no reason to treat either of them as a spacing threat in any sense, and it gets all congested in there. So I've just been thinking, because the Sixers are very good. Even if they do technically have a record that is worse than they were at this point last year, it's I mean, this is all relative. Like last year when they were 20 and seven, I think they were still like fourth in the East because there were a lot of teams that there was less parity. There were a lot of teams in the East with these great records, whereas a lot of teams were bad. Whereas this year it feels like, I don't know, 80% of the league isn't that far apart from each other. All the teams, like the records are pretty close. I mean, the only three teams in the NBA that do not have double digit losses on the season are all in the West. It's the Jazz, the Clippers and the Lakers. And in the East, the Sixers at 19 and 10 are still have the best record in the conference, though the Brooklyn Nets are catching up to them at 19 and 12 with a win over the Lakers last night. Meanwhile, I mean, the Bucks, we're not a Bucks podcast. We don't want to talk about them, but the Bucks are like, things are getting um, tense in Milwaukee, is the way I would put it, with their recent performances. The, but, the, Bucks, uh, the Bucks are just very happy that Giannis already signed his extension. Yes, because if that hadn't happened, it would be a five-alarm fire in Milwaukee right now with the way they're underperforming. And uh, it's kind of – I mean, they're still third in the East, but 16 and 13 is yeah, nowhere near yeah, their, 16, their usual level of success. And that's my point, is too, is also that 16 and 13 still gets you third in the East right now, whereas last year I think that would have put you in seventh at around this time. Yeah. It's, so it's a much different, much different outlook on the conference. But, like – while the Sixers are first in the East right now, I think I would still maintain that I think the Nets are the favorite to come out of the conference. Would you say that? Yeah, I mean, they're 
when when they have Durant, Kyrie, and Harden all available, and they're able to reduce their rotation to like an eight-man rotation in the playoffs, I don't see how you wouldn't call them the favorite. I mean, at all times, they're going to have one or at least two, depending on how they do their rotation in the postseason, like elite-level shot creators on the floor at all times. And for a team to have to go up against that in for a full 48 minutes, it's just it's really hard to wrap your head around. And I did like uh, somebody asked LeBron about that prior to, as you mentioned, they just they just played each other, Brooklyn and LA. And um, someone asked basically, have you ever kind of seen the type of shot creation or like top tier offensive talent that KD? Harden and Kyrie all being on the same team and his immediate response was like did everyone forget KD, Steph and Clay being on the same team No, I, um, I, which, I, love, I love the Golden State guys I, I feel like part of that also is I mean LeBron loves to hype up some of his opponents especially after, from his past to kind of I think LeBron <laughs> is very aware at all times of what he's doing and what narratives he can influence is probably the way I would put yeah. it but um, yeah like the Nets. But yeah, just, sorry, just to, oh, yeah, to close that out, I, I was just going to say that um, he he's right, but you're now comparing this group to a Golden State like dynasty practically, yeah. and a team that you know broke the regular season wins record and everything. So it's just putting them in that company is what we're talking about. So as much as we've been positive about the Sixers team in the season, and we're optimistic about the moves they made and their forward trajectory (laughs) like Brooklyn has to be considered the favorite. Yeah. And so what I've been thinking about is that the Sixers, if they can get the one seed, they should probably be expected to make the conference finals. I know that sounds like reductive or like not even that important, but it's just important to remember, like, I don't know how I feel about them facing the Nets or even the Bucks who are, still struggling at the moment in his second round series, but then get that one seed. It would really help. And you look around the East right now, the Celtics, the Celtics are basically Jalen with Marcus Smart injured right now, or Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, and seven guys who aren't playing well enough for them to be a good team. The Pacers are without Victor Oladipo trading in with Karis LeVert still out and recovering from having that mass removed from his kidneys. The Pacers have not looked very good. The Raptors have finally gotten it in gear, but they're still, you know, it looks like they're not bad and they're going to be in the playoffs, but I still don't know if they're a real contender in any way. So you look around the East trying to figure out like what is required of the Sixers to do what the, all that they want to do, which is especially like, I think it would at this point, you really at least want to make the conference finals, take that next step. Obviously the goal is to make the finals and then win it all, but you know, one step at a time. And I think the Sixers could just use a little more, off their bench because I think it's been proven that the starting lineup, it's all good and fine. You know, Joel Embiid, MVP front runner, depending on who you ask, but definitely in the conversation. I mean, we were talking about Tobias Harris as maybe an all-star earlier this season. He's tailed off a, just a tiny bit, even though he's still very good. So that's less likely. But at the same time, Ben Simmons has really picked up his play since the Harden trade. I mean, his defense, I, Kevin O'Connor had a whole of the ringer had a whole video on it yesterday, just diagramming how incredible Ben has been on defense yet again this year. Seth Curry still makes like every open jumper he takes. Danny Green, you know, 
does the aesthetics of Danny Green are awful, but you know, you look up and he seems like he makes your team better every time you watch him. He's always in the right, like off ball defense is smart. Like he gets beat by quicker guys on the ball on defense, but like it's still strong enough if he ba- if he backs up in time that he can keep them in front. And then teams respect his spacing and he cuts to the right places to get threes off. So it's all that good stuff. And like while they have good bench players, I mean, obviously Shake Milton, like we said, the shot creator off the bench who has been gone for a while, but Ella Shake had been struggling from three this year. He's still been pretty good. Matisse Thibel, after not being in the rotation like the first week of the season, has basically become Matisse is like this weird like bottle of Ben Simmons energy where he does the same some of the freaky defensive stuff but then you know we, Ben's not a zero on offense because of what he can still create like Matisse does not do well what does Matisse do on offense at this point besides hit an occasional three no or, that's about it he, <laughs> that, that he, is it. <laughs> he, he occasionally gets dunks after his steals in the open court um and yeah that's that's just two he, moves he's not, basically he's not like a horrible passer if he hasn't turned the ball over yet while he's dribbling <laughs> no yeah, but just as long as the pass comes before a dribble it's fine no. it's what is matisse good at he hits the occasional three and like and we're done <laughs> but um defense it, is is the answer <laughs> yes it is dwight, the dwight howard experience got off to a good start and then dwight gets a million fouls every single game where it's just very clear what's and i know he gets the raw end of the deal, like from the refs. Sometimes, you know, it feels unfair where he can't like, like guys will just come flying into him on when he's defending them. Sometimes or every single screen he sets gets called. But then there's also times where like Dwight grabs a guy by his Jersey and tosses him five feet to the ground. And it's like, yeah, Dwight, they're going to call that. <laughs> and Furkan, Furkan probably thinks he's having a great season. He's really not. <laughs> I love that Furkan, like I would do so much I'd probably be in a better position in my life if I had Furcon's confidence. We probably all would, and that's a great thing. But, you know, shooting 32% from three this year and defensively is still a liability. Like, he's not like he's not like a 5'11 point guard who has a red X target on his back at all times that you need to go after him because he is still 6'7 and, like, at least trying, but – when you don't have really the requisite strength or speed and your instincts aren't like preternatural, you're not, you're just not going to be a good defender. And that kind of leaves you with, and like, we all love Maxi, but it's, it's very hard for any guard who's like under six, two as a rookie to be like just a pot net positive on the court, just because defensively and this level of shots you have to make like t- tough shots you have to make. And then defensively, not to get killed. It's just there are very few guys who've ever done that as a rookie. Chris Paul is like that's what makes Chris Paul incredible is that his size as a rookie came in and was good right away. And like I, th- I, I thought that. it was his acting chops was what made Chris Paul incredible. <laughs> Definitely part of it. But um yeah. yeah so the Sixers could just use a slight it just feels like there needs to be another thing added. It just some slight tweak made to their bench. My first thought was that they need someone just – they need more shooting on their bench because you can always have more shooting. They just need to have more space, especially if you're going to play guys like Dwight Howard and then occasionally throw Ben Simmons in there. And you also have Matisse Thibel as your defense starter. You need someone to space things out around those guys. And I said, well, the first thing I thought they could do, and this is something I've 
we've talked about before. It's been like part of Liberty Ballers and Sixers Twitter discussions is considering like having Isaiah Joe take on a role in the rotation, which obviously he's a rookie. You get a little concerned about that. And, but I kind of wanted a wing who is like, well, maybe not a net positive yet on defense is still like has good defensive signs and gets some respect as a defender. And then more importantly, gets respect as a shooter on offense, just that kind of three and D wing you need on the bench. And I think it might be Isaiah Joe. So who are you taking minutes away from in this scenario to give Joe more rotation minutes? Is Maxi just out of the rotation now? That, well, that's what I was partially assuming. Like it was, I wasn't saying like we need to get Maxi out for Joe, but I'm, it seems like Doc is at least not going to play Maxi that much, if that makes sense. So I'm thinking of guys in the other roles, which I thought between Matisse and Furkan Korkmaz, like I appreciate what Furkan does offensively, but I feel like I mean, what Matisse does defensively is so special. I feel like you need to give him a spot. Although yeah, is, Matisse has to be there because you're going to come up it's a against. Game once you get to the playoffs, like why would any team not give Matisse the Tony Allen treatment? Well, if they do, that's you just have to hope he hits like 34 percent of his threes, and then it's fine if they do that. But you're going to need him against these teams that have multiple scoring wings, he and guards. Like he has to be part of the rotation, and I think they've handled it correctly where they have kind of sprinkled him in little by little and he, he started off you know he he wasn't playing well at the beginning of the, the year and that was partially due to the, the injury and he wasn't a big part of training camp as a result but but now he's playing you know 22 to 25 minutes a game and I think that's the right role for him just come in give Ben a breather on the opposition's top offensive weapon along the perimeter, at least. And he, he doesn't need to be scoring 10 points a game to be effective in what he's doing. If he just hits like one open shot and he causes five disruptive defensive plays a game, that's a positive impact for your team. And it's also something that they can bring him in and go to this zone defense that they're trying more and more with Matisse out there. And that's something now that now coaches have to prepare for. And especially in a playoff series where teams have to like prepare for everything, just having that option available to give the opposition something more to worry about. I think that's a valuable thing to have in your back pocket. Um, I, I, I just, I don't see a scenario where Matisse isn't playing like 20 minutes a game in the postseason. I think he has to be out there. The Sixers just don't have enough good perimeter defenders to not have him be a part of the rotation. No, yeah, and I, I was saying – I was just like putting it out there. I, I still think – I think you do have to keep Matisse definitely in the regular season rotation. So I, I would probably take away Furkan's minutes at least. And I'm not sure – like I'm, I'm not definitive in any of these solutions that I've come up with, but I would be willing to maybe – give Isaiah Joe Furcon's minutes for the next few games to just experiment with it. And one of the main reasons why is obviously I think even though Isaiah Joe is shorter than Furcon and very skinny at the moment, I think he's a better defender. I think you saw in that Rockets game when he got in, like he had the two, he had the charge drawn and drew an offensive foul pressuring or Gordon. He's got some quick feet. He, he has 
it looks like he has some pretty good length. You know, like he just seems like he knows what he's doing and can cause some disruption. That like mainly, like I was saying, he's not going to be targeted. Is what I don't. Is what I think. And then offensively, he is shooting better from three than Furkan right now at thirty-seven and a half percent, which isn't great, but it's it's like around a little around league average. But more importantly. Isaiah Joe leads the team in three-pointers attempted per 100 possessions at 12.5. So at 12.5, three-pointers attempted per 100. And it's been discussed a lot, and I believe like a lot of people talk about it. I know Seth Partnow of The Athletic has mentioned this a lot. It's more the it's honestly more the willingness to shoot threes that spaces your team out better in the half court than anything else. Because it's like the Marcus Smart effect where Marcus Smart until like last year was just not a good three-point shooter. But because he took a million of them every game, regardless, teams still kind of gave him the respect in the half-court offense. They still closed out on him hard. They did, still did all the things that good shooters force a defense to do because he was so willing to take them. And because Isaiah Joe has that quick trigger and isn't afraid to shoot over a contest, defenses will close out hard on him. They will bend towards him. They will be a little afraid to leave him from time to time, especially if he's still making it like this fine percentage right now. And I just think you need kind of that guy who the quick trigger guy, like it's almost like a Robert Covington effect. This is the thing of Rocco for years is Rocco doesn't shoot great from three, but he'll fire anything if he gets a look and teams will close out on him hard. It ends up working out. But, uh, and then you God at, forbid he goes 0 for 7 or whatever in a playoff game because then the pitchforks come out. Yeah, I shouldn't I shouldn't have mentioned <laughs> I forget, I do remember playoff Roco is <laughs> it was rough. A sore subject. Uh but like you even have guys like I mean Seth Curry is we all talk about all the time, a ridiculous three-point shooter. He's around 48% this season. Seth only shoots 7.1 three-pointers per 100 because I mean that's more like like less likely than Seth's willingness to get them off, and that Seth has some physical limitations, like you know, not not the quickest guy in the world does has a more of a set not a set shot per se, but like you know, like he can't just like he doesn't like flow effortlessly into it. It's kind of weird how him and his brothers, I mean, him and his brother, are obviously two of the greatest shooters to ever live, they flow differently into it. Where it feels like Steph is so like so much one hundred percent rhythm and body flow as he goes into his threes. Seth is very much, I have gotten myself open. I am set right here, and now I will shoot. Like, you know, that, that one, two, three step process, and then he makes it. And, but it's just hard to do that over and over again, unless you get space from the defense and the defenses are trying to get out to him as fast as they can. Cause they know he'll probably make it if he gets it off. So just having that guy in Isaiah Joe who can get threes off with his, with his height, with his length, with the quickness of his release and is willing to take them at any time. And then will be, I think an okay defender I think that kind of wing, that three and D wing, is something the Sixers could really use in their bench. They definitely could, for sure. I mean, we talk all the time, not just us, you and I, but Sixers media, Twitterati in general, about how Twitter the team, <laughs> how how the team needs to take more threes because the just the attempt disparity between them and their opponent on any given night is so huge that the they jazz have... game, the jazz game was hilarious and that the jazz were just launching threes left and right. And the Sixers were like, the, the, you know, the captain America meme, like, no, I don't think I will. That, yeah. that was the Sixers taking threes. That yeah. The, uh, it was the jet. Yeah. The jazz game was the, 
the like epitome of the problem for sure and just utah in general like i i had researched the stats going into that game about how they led the league in attempts and were i think fourth in the league in percentage um that might have changed or i might be a little off on that yeah yeah, that's been ridiculous this year just just seeing like reading those stats and then seeing it in action it it didn't quite do it justice like just just reading off the stats before the game like they're they just it's incredible the 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 sheer volume they get up and then yeah seeing them juxtaposed against the sixers who if they shoot a three every three to four minutes you you like kind of consider it a win um it, it was really shocking but um yeah they so they definitely need a guy like joe and if you if you want to give him some like regular season minutes here and there. And if Furkan is having a bad game, like, Oh, we'll try Joe in his, in his spot for the second half or, and, and doc's kind of been doing that. Like the other day, Joe got in, in the first quarter and, and saw some, some minutes earlier than he might in, in other spots. Like, I don't have a problem with that. My, my only counterpoint, I guess, would be that I don't feel comfortable with Isaiah Joe being, a rotation guy in in these years playoffs like i i just don't think a second round rookie who has hey hey, he was promised in the first round maybe (laughs) that's true so but but even then like i don't feel good about maxi being a playoff rotation guy at this point like unless you're just you feel better about furcon than both of those guys well i just feel like he he's a guy that at least has been in the playoffs before and if if they can round like get him back into form where he's shooting 37 38% again and i don't i don't feel like he's a huge defensive liability he's at least learned enough over the years where he he knows the spots to be and he he, he can navigate a team defense a little bit better than some of the rookies can in my opinion then i'd be okay with that are we a hundred percent sure he understands the defense better than Isaiah Joe? Like I would need to look into it deeply. <laughs> Furkan is just—he's not a good defender, and he Furkan has admitted it. Like he needs to get better on defense, and it's not not a lack of effort, but I don't think there's any proof that Furkan is like a significant upgrade on defense over Isaiah Joe, or even an upgrade to start. Like I think Isaiah Joe might be better defender. <laughs> yeah, I guess ultimately I. would don't expect Korkmaz to be in the playoff rotation either. I think it's going to be there's going to be an upgrade come come the trade deadline veteran buyout market. Um, so if you want to give Joe a little exposure during this regular season and kind of like build him up a little bit and give him a little experience, that's fine. I'm just saying don't count on him being the answer to whatever bench ailments are present for the Sixers right now. Um, it's, it's all well and good to kind of bring him along and, you know, down the road, get, getting him some more playing time will certainly be beneficial for him. But, you know, come, come this summer when they're, they're in the, the second round of a, the playoffs against somebody and it's, it's a hotly contested series. It, I, I don't think Isaiah Joe is going to be the answer at this point of his career. So I, I, I think the, the, the trade market is where the bench upgrade is going to come from more than joke stepping in and taking on a bigger role, even though you're right, he does have the skill set they need. I just, 
I think it's too early for, for him to be the answer. Do you think the Isaiah Joe promise was actually that he would get playoff <laughs> rotation minutes? <laughs> and they did told Isaiah Joe's agent, listen, we're going to be at Boston game four, second round. Isaiah Joe is on the court in the fourth quarter. You know, maybe, although given how the Sixers ended last season, just that would be pretty presumptuous to just assume they'd be in the playoffs, I guess. Presuming <laughs> something too early? <laughs> no. Uh, yeah, why haven't we called, like, I know me and Kevin Rice tried to get Isaiah Joe, trying to make his nickname Chicken Joe in honor of the great movie, I believe it's Surf's Up, I want to say. But uh, another good nickname for Isaiah Joe could be The Promised One. <laughs> I don't know why we haven't run with that yet. Yeah, that's not bad. I, I think Isaiah Joe is just, like, such a cool name in itself. It's, well, it's, still, one, it's one of those names that it doesn't really need a nickname. We still need to hit up Mike Lynch of Basketball Reference and see how much it will take to get one of those nicknames on there. I mean, there, there are some fantastic ones. Like, what's the one? Um, I think Monte Morris, someone did it like, what is the Monte? Okay, this is going to bother me if I don't look up. Someone put down, like, the funniest nickname ever for Monte Morris, which was... um. Count of money yeah, assist to you. Yeah, cause assist to turnover ratio. Because yeah. <laughs> Monte, like, it's a, such a nerdy basketball, uh, such a hoops nerd thing to do, but I love it in every way. But uh, yeah, getting back to, you know, the impetus of this podcast, uh, Furkan Korkmaz does, like, he, I mean, the, the reason I wanted Isaiah Joe there is because they functionally on offense would do some of the same things and that, Furkan is next highest on the team in three-pointers attempted per 100 in terms of his frequency at around 10. He is shooting 32% from three right now, but you're, like you said, hoping that'll get back up after like going through this cold stretch. But that, that was just kind of my idea of a guy who will provide on offense the spacing and willingness to shoot that they need, but might be an upgrade on defense. But you, as you make a good point there, like, even though if I think Isaiah is better on defense, it is still probably going to be hard to, expect that much of a rookie so as far as like potential trade candidates go with the trade deadline when is the trade deadline because i mean the whole schedule is it's march 25th march 25th the whole schedule is just whack right now like so some trade candidates that have been mentioned the always like the uh the once and almost sixer nemanja bealitza who has fallen out of the king's rotation a good floor spacer as a big and i understand definitely like he can shoot. Nemanja is a very good shooter, and that would be appreciated. I do worry that it's like, I feel like you could really only play him if he's playing as a small ball stretch five off your bench, in which case I thought we already had the backup center position locked up with Dwight Howard. Even if Dwight has obviously shortcomings, like I think Dwight probably in a vacuum is a better player than Nemanja at this point even, and that would be... And, like, then the other guys who are mentioned, like, George Hill for the OKC Thunder is another one that mentioned the Thunder, despite playing better than what most people think, are still a team expected to, you know, maybe sell off some assets because they want to sell off some players at the trade deadline because they want to just acquire more draft picks, acquire more long-term assets. They are not in it to win it this year. And George Hill is a a competent ball handler, competent defender, and a very good spot-up shooter. And I understand. I think George Hill would help a lot. He'd probably better than he'd be better than Maxi right now. And he, as much as I like Shake Milton, he'd probably be better than Shake. But I still think it doesn't answer my big question of I think they could really use a wing type player off the bench who 
they need a like we joked before if they could combine matisse thibel and fur con fur con into one person it would fix everything they would make up for each other's shortcomings in a lot of ways yeah that's Aside from Korkmaz's recent cold stretch shooting the ball, that's yeah, it, they, they, they really have skills that perfectly offset the other's weaknesses. But yeah, like I just want some kind of some kind of wing who you can trust on defense, who will also provide good floor spacing and three-point shooting on the other end. What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Property Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Property Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. George, George Hill's, you know, he's 6'4", so he can definitely guard up a little I bit. I guess that is fair because I did have Isaiah Joe. Isaiah Joe feels like he's taller than 6'4", but I guess he's really not. Heights are hard to, I mean, you're just, we're just going off lift, listed heights. So that is a fair point. I, I just don't know, man. I just... I, I really like a wing, like cause the, uh, some of the other names I had written down were like Wayne Ellington, if you could get him from the Pistons, although I'm sure a lot of teams want Wayne Ellington for his shooting and like off-ball movement capability. But again, Wayne Ellington, just not a very good defender. It's uh, not very yeah. big, not a very El- big guy either. Yeah, Ellington also 6'4". So interesting you view him as a wing, whereas George Hill – well, no, I, I, was, I wasn't saying Wayne, Wayne Ellington is a wing. I was saying that was another example of a guy who I think could help with shooting, but I'm not, I don't think he can provide wing defense, really. And probably right. less than George Hill, because Wayne, Wayne yeah, Ellington, Ellington would be like a poor man's J.J. Redick from a couple of years ago in the playoffs, where, yeah, his shooting helps, but if you're in a series against Boston or another team that they have multiple guys that can attack you via like a switch on the pick and roll, and suddenly they're just targeting Ellington every time down the court like that's a recipe for disaster in my mind so I I I wouldn't like go in that direction really so just guessing from how you react to some of those do you think George Hill might be the answer in terms of a trade target yeah he he would honestly be my number one target and he, he is a name that has been floated as somebody the Sixers are interested in so it seems like Daryl is, you know, looking in that direction and he and Sam Presti had the, uh, the trade from this past off season, you know, the Horford Danny green trade. So they, they certainly have a, a working rapport. So that, that could be a, a point towards there being another deal to be worked out. Um, from that Horford deal, the Sixers have the $8.2 million trade exception, so George Hill would fit under that. So they wouldn't have to really match salaries, which would be helpful to uh, something getting done. 
but yeah, Hill, like he seems like a perfect fit for what for what they need as a like a reserve guard right now. He's able to play on or off the ball, which we always talk about with the Sixers, how important that is, because they have guys in Ben and Joel who you need to be able to spot up off of them. Um, I think I think his size is is pretty good for a guy who can probably guard like one through three defensively and, and do it pretty credibly. And then he shot 46% from three last year, which is, you know, that's an outlier. He's not a 46% shooter from, for his career, but he's a 38% shooter from, for his career, which is very good. And makes and takes enough threes that defenses definitely respect him. Yeah, for sure. And he was, like the third best player from Milwaukee in the playoffs. Like he played really well in the postseason, and he he's obviously a veteran. He went through all the the postseason wars with the Pacers back in the day, and I still think he has a a few year, more years of productive uh, play under him. So, you know, he has the the minor thumb injury right now, but uh, I'd ex- I, th- I think he's going to be back on the court in about two weeks. So. If I'm the Sixers, that's that's where I would go. Uh, that's my my first call is over to Sam Presti in Oklahoma City, and uh, yeah, I think he he would then take all the all the Maxi minutes, which as I already mentioned, I I just don't feel like Maxi's ready for for postseason run right now. Um, so he gets any of that, and then you can kind of uh, when the postseason rolls around, Hill would get an outsized portion of the the court class minutes also. So. I think he slots in really nicely, and I would I would think that would be a, a perfect deadline move for for Daryl to make. So, what are you giving up for George Hill? Because trying to think of what the Thunder want, because there will be other teams that want George Hill. This is part of the problem of going after good players is you probably have to bid against some other contenders who are like, you know, I'm sure the heck the Clippers have always talked about they need another point guard or another ball handler off the bench and I'm sure they could talk themselves into hey what would it take to get George Hill those kind of things I could would the Thunder just take if you're the Sixers do you just offer them the first round pick and see if that will do for George Hill Mm, that's yeah that's might be a little pricey Um, that would be like and we'll, we'll just assume like 25 to 30 range first round pick is probably where it would end up right now. Yeah. I would probably start with the Knicks second rounder. And that Knicks second rounder has gone down in value because the Knicks are competent now. Yeah, I know. That's, that's the tough part about it. Gosh, darn it. (laughs) The one time Knicks, we needed you to be, be yourselves. Um, Yeah. I guess we could blame that on tips. Uh, yeah, if you if you wanted to like top twenty five protect the first rounder, <laughs> no, but really like that's, I mean that's not out of the question. Teams do that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Like we saw the the famous Mike Muscala miracle was it that was a top twenty protected pick and that would Mike what if they threw Mike Muscala into the trade? <laughs> I, I think actually, Mike... I actually wouldn't like it because I think Mike Muscala is so much more beloved by Sixers fans as a sleeper agent on other teams than he is as an actual player for the team. You know who would actually love that? It would be Ben Dietrich. Um he he really stands for Mike Muscala and constantly talks about how how well the Ben Simmons Mike Muscala uh, lineups were together. So I, I think he would definitely welcome 
correct a, me if I'm wrong, I believe Andrew Unterberger of the Rights Turkey Sanchez does not stand for Mike Muscala. <laughs> I, I I don't know. Does he he, he has a particular okay, I, vehemence I think, towards Mike I Muscala? I think I was listening to the Ricky, and I think either Spike or Mike brought him up, and then Andrew got upset. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I, I thought he was universally beloved now that he brought uh, Tyrese Maxey into our lives. We need to have him and, like, Tyrese Maxey, like, meet up for a lunch one day and, like, film it. <laughs> just, like, a photo <laughs> shoot. Yeah. It's just... <laughs> they, can, they can do the jersey exchange after the game like the professional soccer players do. Oh, I think that's I think that's in their future for sure. No, but the Thunder do have other guys like to trade, and I, I think that I think I might be willing to give up the first round. It is very close in terms of George Hill. The things I would not give up for George Hill, like if the Thunder asked for them, like I would not give them Maxi or Milton if they asked for that. And like those are two young guys I think will who become good, and I just love having those controlled assets who have proven that they do have some value. Like, would you agree with that? Like, shake. Yeah, up? there's yeah, no scenario you should be giving shake or maxi up for for anybody really that's on a like expiring contract. That unfortunately, I don't think the Sixers can trick them into taking back Terrence Ferguson, so that's probably off the table. <laughs> no, but... they're even allowed to by trade rules, but um, like, because I'm just trying to think what the Thunder would actually want from the Sixers, and it's. I mean, it's pretty simple. It's either draft assets or young players. And, like, maybe they'd ask for Isaiah Joe. I mean, yeah, maybe. Um, I, I feel like just a pick would be enough to, to get Hill. Like, it'll, will, it'll, will, it, will it have to be a first-round pick? Maybe. So then, then you can have a discussion whether that's worth it. But So, yeah, that's... Like the other thing I wanted to mention, this is in case there were any other players thrown into this, there were two guys on the Thunder I was actually interested in as bigger wings who I think could help. Uh, first, is of all, Al Horford a bigger wing no, in your no, mind? No, no, oh my gosh, no! But um, <laughs> the two the two guys were first of all a beloved guy on NBA Twitter, Kenny Hustle, Kenrich Williams, who at six he's six six, he takes about three threes per 100, but it's hitting them at 44%. And then on defense, it's just an absolute grinder. Like he is very physical. He's given the nickname Kenny Hustle for a reason. That dude fights like you wouldn't believe to try and get every stop that he can. And I just think like, obviously like that's not shooting a lot, but if you're making enough of those threes at 44% and you're working super hard on defense, I think that makes you like, like, he's been good for the Thunder series. I mean, there's a reason the Thunder are honestly not that bad. Like, they're not good, per se, but the Thunder are, what is it? They're 11, they're 11 and 17, and most people thought they'd be, like, the worst team in the league this year. They beat the Bucks last week. I mean, the poor Bucks are getting slandered a lot in this podcast. But the, did, they, did people really think that OKC would be the worst team in the league? I thought people – I think people thought they would be pretty bad – like, yeah, and I yeah I knew they would be worse than last year, but they, okay, well, S, SGA is like a rising star, and they have enough. We we all assumed they would like sloth off the veterans at the trade deadline, but they still had enough like solid veterans to complement their young guys on the roster. Like I didn't think they'd be, um, yeah, I didn't think they make the playoffs, but I didn't think they'd be among the worst teams in the league. 
Okay, but like, just think about it like this. What if I told you, so George Hill's out with injury, Trevor Ariza is not playing for them. And I think SGA was out in this game too, where basically it was, I don't even know if Lou Dort was playing. He might've been, but it's like their rotation was mainly like Lou Dort, Ken Williams, Darius Miller, Al Horford, Justin Jackson, ba- Darius Baisley, uh, Hamadou Diallo, Isaiah Roby. Like these were all the guys and they just beat the Bucks. Like that's a little surprising, don't you think? You just named a bunch of fun basketball players. They are so. fun. I like this. I'm not saying they're not fun. I, Isaiah Roby, one of my favorite players coming out of college. I thought Isaiah Roby was fantastic coming out of Nebraska. And I, I'm glad that they're all playing well. It's just, I think the Thunder, of, the Thunder, some people thought would be like, they would be really competing for those last picks. And right now, I think they have only the, what they would be like picking eighth right now. That's where, yeah. like, that off. sounds about right to me. So I, I, I guess I guess it depends what your qualification is for among the worst teams in the league. People were hoping Minnesota would at least be better than them this year, but no. Which I mean, if part part of that's not Minnesota's fault because Cat, everything has happened. Cat's been, yeah. It's I mean unfortunate, but and then I think but, people got to st- stop banking on D'Angelo Russell. Is Oh my the, gosh! The main well, point there. Like their fifth best player. I mean, it's Cat's their best player, and he's been out. But besides, when he was out, Malik Beasley was their best player, and then it was probably been Ant Edwards who he's come on. Anthony Edwards has come on strong the last few weeks. He still has a lot of things to correct, but I think it's pretty clear that that dude's going to be good. Yeah, and, he's been really good the last few weeks. And then D'Angelo is just not good right now. Unfortunately, just it shocker. Like unless. It's very hard if you're a guard who like never gets to the rim and isn't a good defender. You have to make a ridiculous amount of shots on incredible percentages to be still be good. And D'Angelo is a good shot maker, but not that good. Like Steph Curry's an inc- already still good at getting to the rim when he needs to, but you basically have to shoot like Steph Curry if you're never going to get to the rim as a guard who has the ball in his hands a lot, and he just doesn't do that. Few people do. <laughs> yeah. <sure. laughs> But um, so getting back to what I was my original point, I think Kenrich Williams as a in case the Thunder they want to say maybe dump a guy who's actually helped the rotation a lot, been a good player for them because they just want another draft asset or something like that. If you can find a way to get a guy like him, that would be nice, I think. And also Darius Miller, who's I mean Darius Miller's been around a while, but he's shooting nine threes per one hundred and shooting forty three percent from three six six body. Again, that idea of oh guy could provide some decent perimeter defense while firing away some threes at a high clip I, I think that would be helpful so whether it is you actually trade for one of those two or maybe if you can get them included in a deal for George Hill I think that would be pretty helpful yeah I, I like both those guys um, Williams has he has a couple club options so after this year so I feel like the Thunder would probably want to keep him around they wouldn't be as willing to just like like get rid of him for it's tough because a, a late pick he is an asset and he's not like old he's 26 but you yeah. know their timeline is like shea is what is it shea is 22 years old alexei pokashevsky is 19 years old basely's 20 years old uh theo maladon's 19 years old hamadou's 22 like they have a lot of guys who are super young they're just they're, i think they're probably the youngest team in the league especially if you like took out outliers like horford hill and ariza so, like, Kenrich Williams, he's not he's not old, but he's also not, like, a quote-unquote baby in the NBA. He's been around for some things. Yeah, I know, I know he, he doesn't perfectly match their timeline, but I guess 
if if I'm the Thunder, I just hope he would continue to improve. And then next year, it's like, oh, I have this even better player, and he still has a club option for 2022-23. So I, I feel like his value can only go up. So if you're Oklahoma City, why would you cash out your asset right now when it's pretty low? I, I feel like there's there's still room to improve in the uh, Kenrich Williams market. You so, think more reluctant to give up him or George Hill? Well, Hill, you know, he's on an expiring, so yeah. it's like you got you have this is your time to trade George Hill. You're, you're not going to have any other opportunity to do it. Um, but Darius Miller, yeah, he's an, he's an expiring. He's making seven million, so he fits under that trade exception. So if you feel like they're asking too much for George Hill, mm-hmm. and you can get Darius Miller for their own second round pick, which would be in the fifties and really has no value, I guess, then uh, yeah, sure. Do that. Uh, yeah. Miller, as you said, he's a good three point shooter and uh, he's at least solid defensively. So I I wouldn't have a problem with that. I mean, now that I've talked about, like I would like Darius Miller, although Darius Miller does seem like a guy who you, you talk yourself into when you need help. It's like, oh, Darius Miller will fix this problem. Like, you know, a lot of teams have said that maybe. <laughs> yeah, it's he's he's not the cure-all. It's just, hey, would you rather have Darius Miller at the end of your bench or Vincent Poirier, who's never going to see the court? Hey, like, at, le- at least at least Miller's an option for you where you could you could turn to him in a playoff series and be like, hey, we really need another wing that can space the floor out there. Let's give Miller a shot like he's not a bad guy to have around so if you can get him for next to nothing which i I wouldn't think the darius miller market would be too hot then yeah it's not a bad direction to go in hey just the value provided by vincent poirier's good vibes is unquantifiable (laughs) that's true that's a fair point the beard and the smile how happy he is all the times he gets to check in and doesn't do much or he gets it comes off the bench having to see the guys i Vincent Poirier is a guy I would like to hang out with. That that dude seems pretty fun. I like him. He's just he's 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 my mental placeholder for a guy who's getting cut when the Sixers need a roster spot. So like Boban, except Boban is still a good basketball player for the in the NBA. Yeah, Bo- Bo- Boban does not get enough credit for how much he's improved as a player. No, by the I, way. Boban is ve- Boban is very good. It's not it's not the same thing. Boban is a Boban carved out a role for himself in the NBA to be a real, like, he, a real rotation player. Poirier is not, but I was just saying it's the same thing. He's the big, goofy guy off the bench that everyone loves. Like, there's no one sitting, there's no Sixers fan sitting at home, like, ugh, I can't stand Poirier. Like, there's, that's reserved for, like, Terrence Ferguson. And sometimes. Okay. Maybe Ferguson should be my mental placeholder then for a guy who gets cut. Oh, it's. Um, He's not, he checked and he wasn't very good. I, I, I'm sorry to kill the guy, but man, that it's never worked out really for that dude. Uh, quickly off topic, since you, you brought up Boban, I just want to mention that my my wife got me a Boban cameo for my birthday last year, and it was fantastic. What? Oh my yeah. god! Wait, no, no. The the, po- the rest of our discussion is over. We have to talk more about this. <laughs> what was that like? Uh, it was wonderful. He. He he did not recognize the one two three four five sixers song, um, well, we which, all which which was interesting because he had to have heard it at least fifty times um, after wins. 
But uh, he's only there for half a season, right? Uh because he came in the Tobias trade and then got signed by the Mavs. But he was around for the playoffs too. That wasn't fifty times though. They didn't win at home fifty times in half a season plus playoffs. Not even the Sixers went at home. <laughs> They're pretty good at home, Daniel. I don't know. Um, okay, so twenty-five times. Uh, so yeah, so she uh, she she wrote that she wanted him to sing the song. So he didn't know what the song was. So he basically just like read the lyrics. So if you can imagine Boban reading the lyrics to a song that he doesn't know, it was a lot of that. It sounds better than the actual song. Yeah, it was, it was pretty great. And then, he, and then after it, he kind of laughed and he says, "Oh, I get it now." Like because it was seven, it says seventy sixers at the end. It was like he was like him reading a joke that and then laughing about it. Um, so, so that was good. That was good stuff. He uh, he also took a crack at Toby on on unprompted. He uh, he basically said, "Take care of my friend Toby in Philadelphia. He he is he's very young, so." you know, like watch out for him. Like he was a, like a fledgling young duckling or something that needed to be guarded and protected. To be fair, so, a lot of us were taking unprompted shots at Toby last season. Not even <laughs> last season, yes. That's true. Um, he, he was just piling on, I guess. No, but it was, it, was, it was very, very lovable. You could tell there's a lot of real affection between him and Toby, as we all know. So that was good stuff. It was, it was, it was just wonderful. And uh, I would definitely encourage anyone to, to use Bibon and Cameo. How long was it? Like, how long was the meeting, the cameo? Uh, it was, I don't know, like 60 seconds. Okay, so like a very short time. That, Boban's probably got other busy stuff to do. Yeah. yeah like, the only, I'm trying to think of any, like, flexes I have, because that was, I mean, that's a great way. I, that is incredible, but uh, I think I actually changed, this was not planned, but yesterday, like, sometimes I just mess around with my Twitter bio, and I think I changed it to, once handed a basketball to Nikola Vucevic because I don't know if I told it before the story when I was the fan of the game like because we got there super early at the Sixers Bulls game six in 2012. This and, this is your infamous Thad Young scouting report story. Well the thing that Thad Young is way taller than he actually says he is because that dude is just freaking huge. Yep. But, um, basically like when they were going running out into the court I got to hold the basketball out they're taking for the first shots or stuff like that and Vucevic, young Vucevic runs out and just took it out of my hands. So that that's that's all I got though. That's that's pretty much it. We uh, we can also blame Doug Collins for Vuce getting shipped out because Doug Collins did not like Vuce at all. So the Vooch has been on the loose this year for Orla- like Orlando. I mean Orlando's bad, but it's like in spite of how good he has been. Because Vucevic has been playing, I think, having the best season of his career. I think it was Zach Lowe described it as, um, have you seen Naked Gun? I, a long time ago, I watched it, yeah. I actually saw it recently with my friends here, here in my dorm. But basically, um, he said that the Magic's lineups without Vucevic are like the scene in Naked Gun where the guy falls off the building, gets run over by a car, then a steamroller, then the parade comes over him. That's what happens to the magic whenever Vooch leaves the court right now. So turns out he's pretty good. The guy's, yeah, he, he's been awesome. All, and it's all because he took that basketball out of my hands. It sent him on a career it sent him on a career path that would make him just a great NBA player. Was that like a, a thunderstruck type transfer <laughs> of powers? Is that what you're trying to imply here? 
Yeah, if, if I not handed that basketball to him, I would be Nikola Vucevic. I I would be the I would be getting drafted this, this year. Well, well, what could have been, I guess. Oh yeah. Well, this will be this probably coming out. We're recording this Friday morning, and it'll be coming out soon. I'll get to editing this as soon as we're done. But uh, the Sixers play the Bulls tonight. Um, Sean, how do you think that any predictions for the game tonight? Uh, Zach Levine will. How, how many is a lot of threes for Zach Levine? Is nine a lot? I think 11 is probably a better guess. Okay. Yeah, that's that's my prediction then. 11 threes for Zach Levine. I feel like, do you think they're going to lose tonight? No, they're going to win. It's Joel's playing. So. Oh, I oh like yeah. That. I forgot the flow chart. Yeah. I that's enough. <laughs> so, uh, Sixers hopefully get the win over the Bulls. And like you said, I mean, Zach Levine definitely will score a lot against them because, yes. It's going to be a, a Bradley Beal-esque 40 points in a loss for Zach Levine tonight. Yeah, that's, that sounds about right. Uh, I'll agree with you there. Uh, hopefully the Sixers can find a way to fix wrench. Oh, wait, I do want to mention this one thing before we get going here. Because um, I did put it out there on Twitter. Like, just this would be a long-term solution to the bench. Like, not, maybe not problems, but the, the upgrades needed at the bench. I did point out another Isaiah. Isaiah Livers from Michigan is he's a senior small forward I mean a small forward like I don't know why we even need to turn positions but he's a wing basically who's shooting 46 percent from three on, on 10 attempts per 100 and like he's not the quickest guy but he's pretty strong like co- very competent defender basically just like like I was saying a three and d wing a guy who makes a lot of tough shots that's another guy and I think he's because he's older he's not going to get drafted until like I believe the second round or at the earliest would be late first so that's just another guy long-term I think the Sixers could definitely go after. Is he postseason eligible? Isaiah Livers? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> for some reason, I, I think on what you meant. But that's a, no, this is like a long-term solution. Yeah. For a second, I was like, I thought, I was like, I don't think Michigan got banned from March Madness or anything. No. <laughs> I meant NBA postseason, yeah. Um, all right. Well, as as I, I've, I've mentioned before, I, I I am not the uh, the draft prospect grinder that I know you and uh, some other guys here at the site are, but uh, yeah, I'll take your word for it. So, <laughs> all right, well, sounds good. Hopefully, the Sixers can get get another win tonight, and hopefully, one day we do have Boban do a cameo for this podcast. Sean, you'll have to call him that favor. Yeah, maybe we could get like a GoFundMe started among listeners, and they could. Uh, they could chip in to get us a, a Boban cameo. I feel like that would be valuable content for everyone. We'll have him actually sing the song this time. Yeah. Sure hopefully, can. hopefully he knows it by now. Yeah. Hopefully. All right. Great talking to you, Sean, and I will see you next week. And thank you for listening to us. All right. Take care, everyone. What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the PropG Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. 
So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, a PropG Pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the PropG Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts.